If you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, if you would turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 18 through 29 uh, this morning in Jesus' letter to the church at Thyatira. Uh, But as you're getting there, just a a few reminders of, of, of what we're doing in the book of Revelation together this year. In the month of February... We're going through these letters that Jesus writes to these uh, seven churches. And remember, we are thinking about things that the church always struggles with, okay? So that's what Jesus is addressing in these letters. And blow it up into a big picture uh, as we're thinking about the book of Revelation as a whole. Last year, we went through the... um, the four-part story of Scripture together of creation and rebellion and redemption and restoration. And this year, the first half of this year, going through the book of Revelation, we're thinking maybe more acutely about restoration, the idea that Jesus is coming and he's going to make all things new. And one of the ways that we've sort of like encapsulated that is through this quote from an African pastor uh, from a long, long time ago, a guy named Augustine. And so I want us to walk back through this quote uh, before we we read Revelation 2, because, beloved, this is where we're headed. All will be amen and alleluia. We will rest and we will see. We will see and we will know. We will know and we will love. We will love and we will praise. Behold our end, which is no end. Everything is moving towards Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you give us uh, your word um, and that you you teach us and you show us how much we need uh, our Savior, Jesus, whom you've given to us. And so, Holy Spirit, uh, as we come to open up your word this morning and to talk about uh, your word, we pray that you would make us more and more like Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Usually I do that after I read the scriptures, but I kind of got into the Augustine quote. Um, But here's Revelation 2, 18 to to 29, and then we'll dig into it. Uh, This is Jesus' letter to the church at Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come." The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earth and pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Beloved, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. 
In these letters, we're talking about the different struggles that the church has and Jesus addressing those struggles. In Thyatira, as well as in Pergamum, which is the letter that's written before this one, the struggle that they are having that exists in that church there is they are falling, falling prey to false teaching inside uh, of those churches. Now, we're just going to talk about Thyatira today, but that's an issue that's going on in a couple of churches. They're falling prey to false teaching. I have lived in the great state of North Carolina for over seven years now. Um, and one thing that I have come to see and to observe and to know and understand is that if you live in the state of North Carolina, you have a particular university that you have a particular commitment to, no matter who you are. Um, and, uh, and so if you are someone who is like you are big time, Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina. I've learned this. There is zero space whatsoever in your heart for Duke University. If you're an NC State fan, I've met NC State fans, there is no space in your heart for any sort of commitment or loyalty to the University of North Carolina. Here in Greenville, Pirate Nation, ECU, we love our pirates. And there's not any space in my heart for any of those other universities because Greenville's my home. And I'm a pirate, ECU. In Thyatira, what has happened is there has infiltrated in the church a false teaching that is saying that you can have Jesus and you have room in your heart to be also committed and loyal to your deepest desires as well too. That both of those things can exist. And what Jesus is saying to the church at Thyatira is that is not the way that it works. There cannot be room in your heart to fully give yourself to anything other than me. That's what Jesus is communicating. And the way that he's communicating that in these verses uh, is through three ideas that we're going to unpack today. Confrontation, encouragement, and promises. Okay, so if you're a note taker and you're taking your notes, confrontation, encouragement, and promises. So let's dig into Jesus' confrontation of this church in Thyatira. Thyatira is a, is a city uh, in the Roman Empire that was a really big city of industry. Industry was a very big thing. So they were uh, making things there. They were building things there. There was a lot of that stuff that was happening. It was also located along major trade routes in the Roman Empire uh, as well, too. So there was a lot of business that was changing hands there as well. And the city itself was pretty much controlled and run by um, trade guilds. And so if you were a tradesperson, then you were a part of a, a trade guild. You were a member of a trade guild. And these trade guilds paid homage to gods and goddesses of prosperity and fertility. As you can imagine, you want your business to do well, so they paid homage to gods and goddesses of prosperity and fertility. They even had festivals set up to, to set aside time to specifically do this as well too. And if you were a member in one of the trade guilds, you were obligated to participate in these festivals. And here's some of the stuff that would happen and take place at these festivals. One thing that would happen and take place at these festivals is they paid homage to these gods and goddesses of prosperity and fertility is they would offer up um, 
food that they would sacrifice to idols there. And then after sacrificing the food to idols, they would actually take it and they would eat it and take it in as a way of showing that they were committed to and loyal to that particular God, that particular goddess, so that that god or goddess would bless them, would grow their business, would be loyal to them as they are loyal to that god or goddess. Another thing that would happen is uh, there's really kind of no way around this, around me saying this. There were pretty much sex dens everywhere during these festivals too, which meant that you could go to any number of places and engage in sexual intimacy and sexual acts with whoever you wanted to, however many you wanted to, however much you wanted to, and that that was a way of them expressing homage to the gods and goddesses of fertility and prosperity as well too because as they engaged in those acts they were expressing their commitment and their loyalty to that particular god or that particular goddess so this stuff is is going on all throughout Thyatira and if you were a member in a trade guild non-compliance at these festivals meant exclusion it meant your business was going to die it meant that you were, that you, you were not going to have a way to make a living. And so, Jesus, in verse 20, he comes in and he addresses a false teaching that exists in the church that is specifically related to these issues and specifically related to Thyatira. You see, what's happened is there is uh, someone that Jesus names as Jezebel. We don't know if that is a specific individual or if it's a small group of people. We're not totally sure. But Jesus calls out this Jezebel who is clearly teaching that sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols uh, was okay, that you could do that. And there's no mistake that Jesus uses the name Jezebel here. It's on purpose. It's meant to draw our attention back into the Old Testament, back into the book of 1 Kings, where we meet a woman named Jezebel, who is married to King Ahab. And Jezebel's relationship with Ahab is that Jezebel was convincing and trying to convince and trying to seduce and trying to allure King Ahab to worship gods other than the God of Israel, particularly to worship gods and goddesses of fertility and prosperity. And so Jesus draws the church at Thyatira's attention to what was going on in 1 Kings and saying, that's happening here. The same thing is happening here and existing here. He is confronting a message that says that Christianity is Jesus plus my deepest desires. And in Thyatira, Jesus is confronting the message that it's Jesus plus my sexual desires. That Jesus is Jesus is fine with whatever my desires are as it pertains to sex and sexual intimacy. However I see fit to exercise that, Jesus is cool with that. 
He's, he's all right with that. I can have Jesus, and I can have my sexual desires, and I can have equal commitment and loyalty to both of those things. Another thing that Jesus is pushing back on and confronting here is the idea that you could have Jesus plus protecting my assets, that I could have Jesus plus eating food to these idols because I want to make sure that they're committed to me, that these gods and goddesses are committed to me. So Jesus is totally cool with and fine with me hedging my bets on him, me making sure that, I, that, that I'm covering. Like it's a, it's a just-in-case kind of thing, and Jesus is all right uh, with that, with me having a commitment as deep to these things as to him. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. We can't have a deep loyalty and commitment to our deepest desires that are equal to our desire for him. And so these people, they're clinging to all of these other things, ultimately, instead of clinging to Jesus. Well, how about, how about me? How about you? What deep desires are you clinging to? Another way of asking it is, where is Jesus not welcomed in your life? Are you and I, are we like Thyatira? You know, Jesus, you're not really welcomed into my sexual desires. I mean, when you're at the computer and you're all alone and nobody else is going to see anything, do you start talking to yourself and convince yourself like that oh, Jesus is all right with this? Like he gets it. He, he, he understands. It's okay for me to have this for myself and, and Jesus too. Like he's going to be all right with that. That's not going to be a big deal to him that I just look at whatever it is that I want to look at on the internet. Or... You know, with your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You started convincing yourself that like, it's okay, it's okay for us to be intimate sexually. Jesus knows that we love each other. He's, he's going to be okay with that. He's, he's going to be all right with that. He understands. He understands how hard it is. And he's just going to, he's going to be cool with that. He's going to be uh, all right with that. Or husbands, wives, have you convinced yourself that it's, it's okay for me to flirt with that person. I mean, it's no big deal. I, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to act on it. So Jesus is all right with that. He'll be, he'll be fine with that if, uh, if I do that. That will be an okay thing. Or maybe we like to protect our assets like the people of Thyatira. Is Jesus welcomed into how we think about our resources, how we think about our money? Or have we convinced ourselves, like, ah, Jesus is okay if I'm selfish with my resources, with my money. Like, he knows that I work really, really hard for this. It's okay for me to keep this over here and, and Jesus over here. Jesus, Jesus doesn't, doesn't have to come over here into this part of my, uh, of my life. You see, the, 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 both of these things are problematic, 
Because the Bible is very, very, very clear as to how God has designed for our sexuality to flourish in the world that he has made. He is very clear that we are meant to experience and to express sexual intimacy inside of the context of a marriage relationship between one woman and one man committed to each other for life. The Bible's very, very clear about that. That that is how sexual intimacy is supposed to be expressed between one another. The Bible's also very clear about our resources as well, too. That it's not okay for us to think that we can set aside our resources and our money over here and that Jesus doesn't belong there. No, you see, the biblical view of resources and money is one of generosity, It's one of generosity with our resources, recognizing the reality that God has provided everything for us. That his generosity knows no bounds. That his generosity extends all the way to the cross in Jesus laying down his life for you and for me. Jesus belongs everywhere in our lives. And so we don't get to just say, nah, Jesus will be cool with it. We do not get to ever become comfortable with our sin, beloved. We don't get that. Jesus is pushing back on that. He's confronting that. Now let me bring this home into my own life, (laughs) into my own heart. You know, I, I asked you, what are you clinging to? What am I clinging to? Let me tell you, I really cling to and I really, really struggle with just Jesus plus being the best dad that planet earth has ever seen. And so I, I, I take on an identity that is that and I push Jesus to the side. And what I want for my children is I want them to behave the way that I want them to behave so that you will see my kids behaving the way that they should and you will think that I'm the best dad who's ever been on planet earth. And what that means is, is that when I do them wrong and when I sin against them, I don't name it because that's weakness. And Jesus doesn't want me to be a weak dad. Jesus wants me to be strong. And I convince myself that by not owning up to my shortcomings and owning up to my sins against my kids, that that is somehow being a great dad. And essentially what I'm doing is saying, Jesus, you don't belong here. But Jesus belongs everywhere. Jesus is pushing into our lives and into our hearts. He's pushing on me to say, no, John Paul, do you see what I have done for you? When you sin against your kids, you have got to tell them that you were wrong and that you need me because they need to see that they need me. Jesus is pushing back in all of these areas in our hearts. What are you clinging to? What are you clinging to other than Jesus? Where is Jesus not welcomed in your life? Well, the only cure for this, the only cure for this is repenting and believing the gospel. And that's exactly what Jesus encourages us to do in this passage. That's how Jesus tells us to respond to the confrontation that he's giving us. In verse 22, he says, Look, those of you that have been following Jezebel, that have been buying into this false teaching, here's what I want you to know. You can repent. 
you can turn from that and turn to me. You can turn away from clinging to your sexual desires and your deep commitments there and to protecting your assets, and you can turn to me. And in verse 24, he says to those of you that haven't followed Jezebel and, ha- and, and haven't bought into this, here's what I'm going to do. I don't lay any other burden on you except you need to hold fast to what you already have until I come. And so the message is actually the same for everybody. For those who don't believe and for those who believe. Repent. Believe the gospel, turn away from all of the things that you are clinging to other than me. Hold fast to what you have. A few years ago, um, we got the, the, the chance to go and spend a week in New York City. And I'd never been to New York City before, so I was super excited uh, about this. And it's It's incredible. That place is massive. It's so big. It's so huge. And one of the things that we had planned out in our itinerary that everybody was really, really excited about was going to see the Statue of Liberty. And so we planned out all of our ferry boat rides and everything. We went to Ellis Island, and then we got back on the boat, and we went to, I think it's Liberty Island is the name of the, the island that the Statue of Liberty is actually on. And so we, we, we docked at Liberty Island, and we were all kind of getting off of the boat. The island itself was already packed with people. And the boat that we were on was also packed with people. So we're trying to move, you know, two adults and four kids, you know, forward. And in the shuffle of getting off of the boat and everything, Carrie and I realized that we were, that we were missing one of, one of our children. I'm sure you parents have never done that before. Um, you know, if you're a parent, you've lost your kids before. Like, that, 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 that's just happened. It doesn't mean you're a terrible parent, okay? Or at least I'm telling myself that. But anyways, I, so, so we get off and we realize we're missing one of them. We're missing Judah. And, you know, Judah is a real, like, he's, he's a confident young guy. And, uh, and, and, and he really loved, like, walking through the city with his head held up high. Like, he knew where he was going and everything. And, and um, and so we realized that we were missing him, and, uh, and we couldn't find him. And you know how gut-wrenching that feeling is. It's so, it's so, so, so gut-wrenching. And so we're looking around for him and, and everything and trying to find him, trying to see him in the sea of people. And out of my right periphery, I, I happened to see him. And he was about 50, 75 yards away. And I could tell... He was looking for us as well, too. And so I made a beeline. Like, I am moving toward him. I am pursuing him. I am coming after uh, him. And as I, as I got to the point where, where I was close enough that I felt like he could hear me, I called out his name, Judah, Judah, Judah. And he heard it, and he turned, and he looked, and he saw me, and he ran right to me, and he threw his arms around me, and he held me as tightly as he could. He was clinging to me. Do you see what Jesus is saying to us and saying to the church at Thyatira? Turn away from all of the places in the areas where you are trying to do me plus your deepest desires and cling to me. Come home. Hold tightly to me, cling to me, to where you belong. Run to me, hear my voice, and come. 
hear that I have given myself for you. I've even gone to the cross for you. I've laid down my life. My body has been broken. My blood has been shed. I've actually become all of the other things that you are clinging to for you. I have become your sin that you might have life and have it abundantly. I've come and given myself for you to free you from being defined by your sexual desires. To free you from being defined by protecting your assets. To free you from being defined by your bank account. To free you from being defined by being the best dad in the world. To free you from being defined by your future. To free you from being defined by the approval of others, of anyone or anything other than me. Come home. Cling to me alone. Oh, and Jesus layers and roots this encouragement in all kinds of promises to us in this passage. We can break these promises down kind of into two categories. First category is this. Jesus is saying that my love knows no bounds. Verse 18, I've got fiery eyes and my feet are like bronze. Jesus is saying to the church at Thyatira and to us, I have made my stand here with you. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I see you. I know what's hard. I know what you're going through. I know all of those things. As a matter of fact, my fiery eyes communicate to you that I see everything. Verse 23, I even see your hearts and your minds. I see the hearts and the minds of all. I see your intentions. I see your motivations behind everything. Verse 19, I see your love. I see your faith. I see your patient endurance and your service. In verses 22 and 23, it says, My love knows no bounds because I will bring justice to a sinful, destructive, dying, hurt, and broken world. That's what he means when he's saying that Jezebel is going to go into this deathbed. And those who follow her will as well too. Jesus is saying, My love knows no bounds that it will bring ultimate, full, final justice into everything that I have made. And oh, by the way, it's going so far, verse 25 and 26, that my love even extends to the restoration of all things. Because you need to hold fast until I come. You need to know that in me, you are a conqueror. Jesus is saying, my love knows no bounds, that I will come back. And I promise I'm bringing heaven with me. And I'm going to make all things new and restore all things. And the second promise that we see in here is that Jesus' love, here Jesus says to us, my love empowers you. My love empowers you. Verse 25, my love empowers you to hold fast to me, to cling to me. Verse 26, my love empowers you to keep my works My love empowers you to grow and to be more and more like me. Even says, my love empowers you to exercise authority over the nations. And Jesus is tapping back into Psalm 2 right here. 
where Jesus is communicating his love and his desire to see all the peoples of the earth come to know who he is and to realize that he is bringing nothing but flourishing with him. And so Jesus says, I'm empowering you to exercise authority over the nations, which is not a power play, but it's a promise of grace. He's not saying like, look, you, get, you, you need, and, and you get to go to people and say, you just need what I've got. I've got Jesus and you need what I've got. No, he's saying, I'm empowering you to relate to people in grace. To relate to people in the same way that I have related to you. To love people. To love place, to love me. To when you look at people and you interact with people, you first and foremost are appreciating the fact that they bear God's image in His world. To get to know people. To build relationships. To relate in grace and to let other people into your life. To relate to you in grace as well. To have the opportunity to bring good news to bear on a world that is sin-ridden. That's full of evil and hurt. And brokenness. Jesus' love empowers us to relate to people in grace. In verse 27, Jesus says, My love empowers you to oppose false teaching, to oppose anyone or anything that you might try to cling to other than me. And so Jesus is saying, I empower you to oppose false teaching in your own heart. To speak the gospel to yourself. <laughs> to preach the gospel to yourself. Like that's the reason that Christ has given us the Holy Spirit. So that you and I can say no to sin. We can say to, to temptation and to sin that lurks at our door. You don't get that here. I belong to Jesus. So Jesus' love empowers us to speak the gospel to ourselves. It empowers us to speak the gospel to ourselves when we find ourselves in a situation where people have been incredibly horrible to us and we feel so ashamed. And Jesus' love empowers us to see, oh no, we bear the image of the king. And we are sons and daughters Jesus' love empowers us to speak truth to falsehood even in our own hearts. And Jesus' love empowers us to speak truth to falsehood more broadly and with one another. That's why he calls us into his church, that we would have relationships with one another, that those relationships would be built on grace, that we would get close enough to one another that we could look into each other's lives and say, I'm not sure that you're not clinging to something else other than Jesus. To speak truth to that. In love and out of grace, Jesus' love empowers us to oppose falsehood. To be the kinds of people who are in gospel relationships, who are speaking gospel truth to anything that we might cling to other than Jesus. You know, when we were getting off of that boat and we realized that we didn't have Judah and our hearts were in the pits of our stomachs, and we were terrified. Where in the world is our son in one of the largest cities in the world? I know we're on an island, and there's only so far that he can go, but still, you know, as a parent, like, you, you get there and everything, and, and, and you know, and, and I tracked him down, and I pursued him, and, and went after him, and, and called his name and everything, and, and, and Judah, he heard it, and he turned, and he ran, and he held to me as tightly as he could. He was clinging, clinging, clinging to me, but you know what? 
I pursued him. I went after him. I called his name. I said, son, come to me. And as tightly as he was clinging to me, it wasn't even close to how tight I was clinging to him. Beloved, as tightly as you might or we might ever think that we cling to Jesus, Jesus clings to us more tightly than we ever will to him. Jesus is the one who's pursuing us. Jesus is the one who's coming after us. Jesus is the one who is calling us by name and saying, all of that other stuff that you're clinging to, it's going to do nothing but bring death and destruction into your life. Cling to me, but don't ever forget, as tightly as you think that you might cling to me, I cling to you far more tightly than you ever will to me. My clinging sent me all the way to the cross. My clinging sent me to give up my body and my blood for you. For all of those things that you are clinging to, I died for those. As a matter of fact, I became those for you, that you would know me and that you would have life, and you would have life abundantly. Don't ever forget, don't ever forget that I will cling to you more tightly than you ever will to me. That I've called you. I'm the one who made you here. I'm the one who made you see what I've done in giving myself to you. It is me plus nothing else. My love knows no bounds. And my love empowers you to cling to me. My rule, my reign, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And beloved, we come to the table this morning to receive and to proclaim that good news.